You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord, thanks for your goodness and your loving kindness. And um, thank you for your word. And I pray that you'd bless this time, that it'd be encouraging and life-giving, and uh, that we would just deepen in, deepen in your grace, deepen in fellowship with you, that you might sanctify us into the image of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so um, we're in the middle of a four-week series. This is week number two. So basically what we're doing is we're kind of giving you guys a little bit of a crash course in the covenants of the Bible because that's what's going to be studied in uh, children's ministry this year. And, and so the, the, the purpose here is to give you a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of a conceptual framework um, so that as your kids are studying covenants this year in, um, in Sunday school, uh, you'll you'll kind of have some tools. You'll kind of have just some basic framework with which to engage them, know what's going on. So I'll just kind of start out with one of the big missions of our our children's ministry is that when kids finish with us, that they would feel like very confident in their ability to read the entire Bible, every 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 piece of the Bible. And so that is a plan that we have in mind from like the nursery all the way to when they are. 19 years old. Uh, I mean, in the nursery, one of the, we have kind of three things that we're gunning to do. Uh, one is that children leave there, well, there are more, there's more than one thing, but from an educational standpoint, in the nursery, we want kids to leave with Jesus not being foreign, with them knowing that God loves them, and them knowing that the Bible is a book. Just, there's a book, it's the Bible, all right? And so anyhow, you know, you got to start, you got to start with these little categories. You know, you can't really you can't really dig deep into Hosea chapter 7 if you don't know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. All right, so then what we do, um, then what we do in children's ministry is every single year we go from Genesis to Revelation. Um, we, you know, we do the whole narrative arc of the Bible. Now, we obviously don't read the whole Bible, and we obviously don't do every story. But what we'll do is we'll pick out a theme uh, from Scripture uh, and we'll um, follow that theme from Genesis to Revelation. So last year the theme was kingdoms. Uh, and so, you know, you start with like the Garden of Eden as, you know, and by the way, these are, these are all what you would call like uh, meta-narratives or biblical theological themes um, that you see like when you study, when you go to seminary and all this kind of stuff, you see it's like there, you can designate like seven or eight major themes that go throughout the Bible. So kingdom, or law and gospel, or uh, the mission of God, or covenants. And so there are different themes that you can see. And so on one hand, when kids get to junior high, they have a really good sense of the narrative arc from Genesis to Revelation, because it is, we call it redemptive history, because it is like an unfolding historical narrative um, that, you know, starts in the garden and ends in in the new heavens and new earth in Revelation 22. And so that right there, um, that right there is going to give your child probably a greater, when your child is in the sixth grade, um, I would say that they will have a, more tools and a better conceptual framework to read the Bible than 75% of the adults in our church. Let's say that. If they've gone Genesis to Revelation, um, now we can remedy that because I'm doing this, uh, I'm sending out an email about it in the next two days, uh, something called Confident Faith, where we do a, we'll do a Bible boot, it's for parents, 
to give help parents feel really confident in their ability to handle the Bible and to pray and study the Bible on their own and to kind of have some categories for theology. Um, but we do an eight-week Bible boot camp in that course. Get ready. Get excited. Um, another thing to get excited about is the parish retreat, right, Kelly? That's right. Third weekend in, uh, in September. Neither Auburn or Alabama are playing anybody good. And um, it's going to be up at Alpine. You can sign up September 1st, last day. There's going to be a Children of the 80s and 90s dance party. Now, that's the thing to really get excited about. Yeah, yeah, that's on Saturday night, okay? Get your costume, get your dancing shoes. Here we come um, up at Alpine. going to be awesome. Anyhow, but back to being excited about the Bible. Um, so, so then when, um, when kids get to junior high, then we start, because we feel like they have a pretty, they've had pretty good reinforcement on the biblical narrative, they've got really good biblical concepts. Like if you take a whole year and you're hammering like kingdom, 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 or covenants, 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 um, they're going to have really good conceptual tools to interpret the Bible. So then what we do in junior high and high school is we work through books of the Bible. So if your child is consistent in Sunday school and in small group, um, they, in their time with us, will do a survey of Genesis, a survey of Exodus, a survey of First and Second Kings, over 50 Psalms, a survey of Proverbs. They'll do um, Messianic prophecies. They'll do all of Daniel, all of Jonah, all of Haggai. They'll do all of Mark, all of John, all of Romans, all of Philippians, all of Colossians, Galatians, First Thessalonians, James, First John, First Peter, and a survey of Revelation. So that's 19 books uh, covering all the different genres of the Bible that they'll that they'll do you know, either a survey of or in their entirety. So all that to say, for, for a child from nursery to 19, we feel like um, children will be, and also in junior high, we do on Sunday nights every other week, in addition to small groups, we do um, IDN, where we give them like tools on how to read the Bible, how to pray, all that kind of stuff. So I'd say we, um, we are way into biblical literacy. We even have... Uh, progression of the children's Bibles to read. <laughs> you start with the Jesus Storybook Bible, and then at a certain point, you move up to the Gospel Story Bible. And then we hand out in second grade the, uh, the Adventure Bible. Um, and then we also have, this is both for families and for kids, where if you want to read the, like, the children's Bible to your kids, we have Bible benchmarks. These are benchmarks for biblical literacy. Um, Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, yes, about 100 readings in both. So two a week for a year, crush it. Anyhow, but this is great for your own. This is great for your, as a great guide because it has a summary of all the passages, has all the biblical literacy components in it, all that. And, yeah. Yeah, so we, we say stick with the adventure. By the way, in the, the little purple book, we have this little purple overview of the ministry. And our, our incredible Tara P. Davis, uh, children's minister, she has developed, she's a master's in education, and um, she's a, you know, was a classroom teacher for a dozen years. So we developed from a literate, knowing like the difficulty of the language in these different Bibles, like what is age appropriate, like a continuum based on different reading levels. This was, this is kind of like some kids maybe start this in second grade, a lot of kids it would be fourth grade. And we ride this until the ninth grade. And then ninth or tenth grade is when the ESV study Bible starts to, um, starts to be uh, kind of age appropriate. But yeah. So anyway, but I mean, this is NIV. This is fantastic. You can ride this your whole life. It's great. Um, so you can ride it, you know. Just, uh, that, that's, I've never heard anybody refer to reading the Bible as you can ride it. You know. <laughs> that, was, that was like the most redneck moment of my life. Um, anyhow, okay. 
so so that is that's that's kind of to give you a sense of of what um, what's the the bigger mission of what we're trying to do. Um, and so, with that being said, today we're going to talk about covenant. So, if you don't have this, you might not have the sheet. We have some extras over there on that chair, um, and we're going to talk about covenants. And so, um, when I say covenants, like what are some words that what are some words that might come to mind for you? What's that? Promise. Great. Well, catechized child right there. Promise. What are some other words that might come to mind? Agreement. Agreement. Contract. Exactly. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, anybody else have another one? Marriage. Marriage. That's really good. Yes, marriage. You're, you're all are, this, is, this is all hitting, y'all are hitting on all the things. Other thing I would say, too, is relationship. And so, um, so a covenant uh, in the Bible, it's, it's a relationship um, that involves promise and that where there are mutual <coughs> obligations. Uh, you know, and any, kind of like in a marriage, as Julie said, um, you know, there's, uh, there is kind of, there's a commitment and there's grace and you're in a relationship. So there are kind of mutual obligations in it. And so when, when we're talking about the overarching themes of covenant in the Bible, the big thing we're talking about is God coming into communion with his people. God coming into communion, particularly with sinful people. And so, um, and so, you know, we are made, we're created for fellowship with God. That is the essence of our being, is to be in relationship with God. And, um, and like our hearts will really never be, our hearts are most satisfied and most at rest when we are close to the Lord. Um, we'll really never find satisfaction and rest until we uh, find our rest in Christ. That's what St. Augustine said. Now, sin breaks the covenant. I mean, sorry, it breaks that relationship. And so the big story of the Bible, starting in Genesis 3, is the reconciliation and restoration of that uh, eternally intended relationship between God and man. How does it that now a holy God, given that people have sinned and the relationship's been broken, how does God bring sinful people back into fellowship and covenant with him? That's the center of the whole Bible. And that's why we go, that's, that's what we call the gospel. And so that's why we we kind of, um, we do the gospel catechism every single week and in every Bible study. It's because that's the big story, is a holy, loving God coming back into, reconciling and coming back into relationship with sinful man. That's the whole story. And so, um, so with that being said, covenants, that's one way we look at that story. Um, there are, and, and, and I will say, one thing that people, that, um, <laughs> one thing, people, Christians can really suck in this way. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. In that when people get so married to one meta-narrative, where they're like, covenant is the only meta-narrative of the Bible and all others are bad. It's like, no, there are lots of, there are lots of themes. <laughs> and so it's good to know, it's good to be literate in all of them. But covenants is the one we're going to look at this year. But so here's the, um, here is a definition uh, for covenants. So Palmer Robertson, you wrote a book called Christ of the Covenants. His definition um, is a bond in blood, sovereignly administered, and then I added, and marked by a sign. A bond in blood, sovereignly administered, marked by a sign. Okay, so let's break down those words. So bond. Uh, the term bond here, uh, what is, um, let's talk about the difference between the word bond versus relationship. How is, can anybody identify or perceive a difference in the connotations of bond versus relationship? 
Okay, okay, it's more physical. What else? Yeah, it's more significant. Anybody else have a thought? It's more intimate. Yeah, like, man, we really bonded. When you say, like, we really bonded, it's like, hey, you know, we had a relationship, but we came really closer. We really bonded on that trip, or we bonded through that experience. And so there's more seriousness to it. There's a greater sense of commitment. There's a greater sense of intimacy. So it's not just a relationship. It's a really significant, serious, very, very intimate relationship such that uh, the Bible defines that relationship between God and man and, and, and God and Christ as, I mean, sorry, people and Christ as union, oneness. That's, that's what, through the cross and through repentance and belief, that's what Jesus brings us into is oneness with God. That's ultimately what our heart is set on. Okay, so now it says a bond in blood. We're blood brothers. There was some story of some, I think it was Ozzy Osbourne, how he signed a contract like with blood and the contract was invalidated because it was signed in red ink. Some, some crazy, probably not true, but there's some you know, like heavy metal story, um, heavy metal story and about that. But anyhow, so a bond in blood. When you hear in blood, what are the connotations of that? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. That's really good. That's really, really good. Thank you, James. Permanence. Permanence. Really good. Yeah. And so you can see here, uh, it, it also involves life and death implications. So it's a bond. It's a serious relationship that has life and death implications. And so, you know, the deal is, it's like, God is our life source. And like when we are cut off from the Lord, like we wither, we die. But when we are connected to the Lord, we flourish. Um, we flourish and we're fruitful and we're alive. And so it's, a, it's a, a bond in blood. And so it involves sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. Um, it involves, um, it's really serious, and it has life and death implications. And so then finally, sovereignly administered. Sovereignly ministered, that's really fancy language. But what this means is basically God is the one who makes the terms. It's not like, you know, if you come into, uh, uh, if you come into an agreement, uh, let's say that you know, you're in a real estate deal or you're signing a contract of some sort, there's usually give and take on both sides. There's some quid pro quo, right? Frank is working on a contract, Brassfield and Glory. There's gotta be a little bit of flexibility. You kind of come in, in some ways, as equal parties. And so there's negotiation over terms. Not the case in, in our relationship with God. Like, God is the Lord. He is the King of Kings. So we don't, negoti- we don't negotiate with the Lord. He is the one who dictates the terms. And honestly, that's in our best interest because his terms are really, really, really good for us. Really good for us. Um, and so um, a lot of these covenants that you see in the Old Testament are uh, set in, in the ancient Near East. You'd have what you call a suzerain-vassal relationship. And that is where you had a, a suzerain, which is like a king, who, was, who had the power in a territory. And, and so he had the power, he had the authority. So basically the, the, the terms of the contract were all on his terms. And um, all, you know, all according to his discretion. So there was a superior and there was an inferior. So you see, when you see um, some of the, the language and the nature of like Abraham's covenant with God, uh, it's, it's very clearly, in that context, a reader would have said, that is a suzerain-vassal agreement. Um, however, um, it's, uh, God is like, gives away the whole house. Uh, you know, you would say that, you know, the, there's the book, The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. 
And, uh, you know, it's, which is the book, it's, by the way, if you've never read that, that is one of the single best books you can ever read about Christianity. The Prodigal God, really short. It's about the story of the Prodigal Son, but it's focusing on the older son who, you know, looks perfect, but is really self-righteous. Um, and so, but, you know, so the, the book is about the Prodigal Son, but it's called Prodigal God. Because God is so generous that you'd almost say, like, he's recklessly generous. Recklessly generous um, in, in the way that he's so gracious to us. And so um, an, another, uh, oh yeah, and then, and then la- sorry, last thing in that, another term you kind of see here on this sovereignly minister is a love-life bond. Like God enters into this covenant, into this, re- this bond with us uh, because he loves us. That's what is motivating him, is his love for us and his desire to give us life. And so that's the nature of it. So those are some of the, um, those are just some of the, uh, the basic components of a covenant. You're, by the way, your kids are not, we're not going to be, they're not going to be doing this. This is for you to have a conceptual basis to talk about this. Don't worry. We won't be using the term suzerain vassal with your kids or sovereignly administered. Fear not. Um, Lig and Duncan, big Lig, uh, who is actually my professor for covenant theology. Lig and Duncan, uh, he said the, the gospel covenant, the, the covenants are the gospel set in the context of God's eternal plan of communion with his people and its historical outworking in the covenant of works and grace. So he's just saying that like the, the covenants are one way to look at the administration of the gospel as God seeks to be in personal relationship and a bond uh, with his people. And so another thing that he says, uh, this, is, this is pretty money ball, We'll break this down because this is going to be very. This is going to be practical in terms of explaining this kind of stuff to your kids. Uh, but he also says that, that uh, the, the theology around the covenants is the Bible's way of explaining the atonement, uh, Christians' assurance of salvation, sacraments, redemptive history, and the dynamics of God's sovereignty and our human responsibility in living out the Christian life. Um, and so I'm going to come back to this, explaining these components in a second. But I want to jump for a second to um, the covenantal system. And I want to say that this is kind of... Uh, uh, this is kind of like... This is, not, this is kind of digging deep. This is kind of stuff that like, you don't normally, don't normally hear a lot about at a church, but you learn about in seminary. So we're going to get a little bit academic on this, but stay with me. There's, there's value in this promise. All right, so, um, hey, can I borrow this for one second? I'll put something on. There's something on my notes. It's not there. Okay, so the covenantal system, and this, this, is, this is debated. This is, this is kind of debated. Different people use different terminology on this, but they, they think about the covenant system in, in three ways. This is John Murray thought about it this way. He said, first, you've got covenant of redemption, covenant of works, and then covenant of grace. So what he means by the covenant of redemption, it is like before the foundation of the world, God knew that there would be a fall. God knows all things. And so the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who are all responsible for our salvation, um, they basically have a declared a desire and they have declared an intention that they know what is going to happen and they are going to redeem us. And so you look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 6, we're not going to get into some conversation about predestination or anything like that today. 
Uh, but uh, that's not where I'm going with this. But, but there, this is important, and we'll get back to why as we go through the uh, talk about assurance. But so Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. One of the most powerful verses of the whole Bible right there, in my opinion. Verse 4, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace in which he has blessed us in the beloved. Thanks, honey. Um, so um, So the point I want you to see here is that God's desire to be in relationship with us and God's uh, intention to redeem us has existed before he even made us. Well, the point why this is important is that Jesus is not plan B. Jesus is not plan B. Like, God, I don't, I don't know why the, the, God let the serpent get in the garden. I don't know why he let us sin. I don't know the answer to that. But I do know that God knew, and I do know that God had, God had a, a problem. Sorry, God had a solution before the problem ever occurred. And so that is great assurance, that God is not uh, sitting in a position of like, uh-oh, what are we going to do, Jesus and Holy Spirit? There's, that's not, that's not, you know, God is prepared. God is prepared. He's had a plan for our salvation, you know, for eternity. All right, second, you have covenant of works. And so what you see in Genesis chapter 2, after creation, is that the nature, um, the nature of the relationship between Adam and God, there is conditionality to it. God says, uh, well, let's look at 2, 15 through 17. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day of that the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So there is this conditionality of, Hey, and by the way, when we talk about eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, like that is, you know, a behavior that God said, don't do that. But there's something deeper behind it because eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil is basically what he's saying to Adam and Eve is don't fall into the trap of thinking that you can be God. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that you can be self-sufficient and autonomous. Uh, That's what's really being said at the deeper theological and the spiritual level, at the heart level, when God says don't eat from the tree. It's not just, hey, that fruit's bad. It's, hey, when you do that, what you are believing is that you can be your own God and that you can be autonomous and self-sufficient. You cannot do that. We were made to depend on God. We were made to trust him, rely on him for life. And so, um, and so with that being said, God says, if you fall into that trap, if you sin, you will die. So there's a conditionality that is at play here in, in the relationship. Well, you know, a few verses later, Adam and Eve fall into the trap um, and they sin. And so the relationship between God and man is broken. And you can see that Adam and Eve are, are, are operating out of this mentality of works. They're operating out of this desire to be there and save and to be in there in God, because what, what immediately after they sin, what do they start to do? They run from God. They try to get fig, you know, they try to cover themselves with fig leaves, which really means they were trying to atone for their own sins. So they're trying to do it on their own. And so now it's as if the covenant of works has gone south. And it's kind of unredeemable. And so now in Genesis chapter 3, there's a shift in the nature of the relationship. Now the relationship has to operate out of grace. 
It has to operate out of mercy and forgiveness. Man cannot do anything to fix this problem. It has to be God by his mercy who, who says, you've blown it, and you know what? I love you. I want to be in fellowship with you. I'm, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to be gracious to you. And so now from Genesis 3 all the way through the rest of the Bible, the nature of the relationship is a relationship that is based on grace. Man comes, is brought into fellowship and life with God through God's mercy and forgiveness. And so, um, and so you can see the shift in Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15, and then we're going to skip down to verse 21. But in 14 and 15, it says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Okay, this is what you call the Proto-Evangelion, which means the first gospel. A lot of people say this is the first proclamation of the gospel in the whole Bible. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Say, what? Really? That's the, what's, what's going on here? Okay, so the enmity he's talking about is the tension. The tension that exists between the forces of good and the forces of evil, between God's people and the spiritual forces of evil. But then when he says, so that's the enmity that he's talking about. And when he says between your offspring and her offspring, the woman is representative of the people of God. And that you, he's talking to the serpent, are representative of those who are following the serpent. And so, by the way, note that the people of God defined by a woman, inclusive, we're not misogynist here, um, from the very beginning, uh, equal dignity to men and women, and then it says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The he that he's talking about is Jesus. This is pointing to Jesus' death on the cross when Jesus uh, defeats Satan. Um, and and the, the bruising of the heel is first, you know, Christ's death on the cross. The crushing of the head is the, the serpent being defeated on the cross. The he comes out of nowhere, right? This, this uh, masculine... Uh, third person singular pronoun, the he, who is it talking about? There's no antecedent, there's no reference to another person in this story. He's, it's, it's pointing to Jesus. Okay, so, so you can see that the he, being Jesus, the Son of God, is the one who's going to take care of the problem. And so that, that's the shift. God, by his grace, by his mercy, out of his love, is going to solve the problem. There's not going to be, there's not going to be kind of like mutual conditionality in this. It's, it's going to be God who's gracious to us. And then finally, in verse 21, it says, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So what we see here is this is corresponding to Adam and Eve trying to make fig leaves for themselves earlier, and I think it's in verse 7. Uh, they're trying to atone for their sins. They're trying to cover themselves. But we see that God... Uh, he, um, he's the one who clothes them and covers them. He forgives their sins. And he's the one who does that action, not man. And so this points to the gracious nature and God reaching out to us out of lo- in love. All right, so with that being said, um, the nature of all the covenants that flow after that is by grace. Uh, just to kind of review, the, 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 the covenant with Noah um, God, you know, pours down, there's judgment that comes down to humanity, but God says to Noah, I'm never going to do that again. I'm not going to do that again. And, uh, be fruitful and multiply. And he gives a sign, the rainbow. Then right after that, it comes to Abraham. And, and, you know, he, he has the covenant with Abraham 
Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. And he says, in all of it, God says, I'm going to be your God. I'm going to be in relationship with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a people. There is no like, and now here's what you got to do, Abraham. No, I mean, he does say go. And he does say circumcise your children as a sign of the covenant. But like God's grace to Abraham and his grace to his people is not conditioned upon Abraham being good. Because you see in all the stories around the covenant, Abraham is bad to the bone. <laughs> he messes up a lot. Um, you can see with David. He comes to David in the, in the covenant with David and he says, David, um, you're gonna, uh, uh, someone from your line will be on an eternal throne. It's not like, now David, if you do, if you do good, no, it's like, this is going to happen. And, you know, and then Jesus is a descendant of David and that's the fulfillment of it. Jesus, Jesus, the coming of Jesus really is the sign of that covenant. Um, covenant with Moses, a little trickier because there is a little bit of conditionality at that, but that, that's, it's not the nature of the, um, relationship with God is not conditioned in that covenant because what does God create, um, establish in the covenant with Moses that is the means by which our sins are atoned. Uh, he, he gives us the law, but what's a part of the law that's specifically for atonement? Sacrifice! Kelly Norwood! Say it today. Yes, the sacrificial system. And so, um, and so, yeah, the sacrificial system is the way that, you know, when we, when we sin, that our sins are atoned for and we're in that covenant, that, that relationship and bond is restored. Um, some of the promises to Israel, Israel as a nation, are conditional um, in terms of their prosperity, uh, and it doesn't go well for them. Um, never does. When, it, when, it, when, when it's conditional, it just doesn't work out for us with God. Um, and so then you have the new covenant, which of course is straight up grace in the sense that uh, Jesus actually fulfills the covenant of works. Jesus does uh, what Adam could not do, and Jesus does for us what we cannot do in living a perfect life under the law. Um, and then he dies for our sins. He's, you know, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the covenants. And there's a really cool um, text in uh, Ezekiel, I think it's 34 through 37, where you see the new covenant is being talked about, and there's a little bit of an element of every single one of the previous covenants that flows into the new covenant, which is the culmination of them all. Uh, I mean, don't you just want to go teach children Sunday school? Aren't you just so excited? So all the stories we're going to do will be stories around the different covenants that I just went through. And we'll reiterate the whole personal relationship with God through his grace over and over again. Um, so with that being said, okay, last thing. Like, why is, why is this very helpful? I'm going to rifle through this because we're out of time. Um, okay, so wh like, what are some aspects about this that, you, that are practically helpful in terms of you parenting your child and encouraging your child? All right, one is assurance of salvation. Um, you know, these, uh, these different signs uh, that we see in the covenants, um, different things like communion, which is a sign of the new covenant, uh, things like baptism, when you see babies are baptized, um, and also the covenant of redemption, realizing that like, hey, God loved you before the world was even created. Like God had a plan for your life and a plan for your salvation before he even made the world. You cannot screw this up. There's nothing you can do to make God stop loving you uh, because he wanted you before the world was even born, was even created. Now that, I actually a little chill bumpy there. That is 
you know, when your child blows it or your child is feeling really down on themselves because they keep on messing up uh, and they can't get their act together, like that is some real serious comfort. And you can look at God's faithfulness and all the covenants as a, as a, as a, a um, evidence of that. Secondly, the sacraments. Real short, I just said baptism and communion. Like, hey, mom and dad, why do we do this? Well, these are signs of, the, of, of God's promise to us. These are physical signs to remind us of God's love for us, his desire to be in relationship with us, um, and, that, uh, and his grace that makes that happen. Uh, redemptive history, uh, no need to get into that, but I mean, your, your kids will get, a, an, again, another good course of redemptive history um, this year seen through the covenant. So I think the big thing I would say in this is if you ever read the Bible or you talk about the Bible, they ask you about what the Bible is, we like to say, you know, it's, it's I mean, it's a historical story about God bringing um, his people into relationship with him, sinful people through his grace into a relationship with him. So it's helpful in that. And then finally, the dynamic of God's sovereignty and our human responsibility in living out the Christian life. You know, the, the one of the most common questions we have when we talk about the gospel from kids, and this makes perfect sense, it's like, okay, you're telling me that no matter what I do, God's going to love me. There's nothing I can do to make him stop loving me. Like, yeah, that's absolutely the truth. Okay, like, why do I need to obey? <laughs> why, why do I need to, you know not do whatever I want to do, what's the problem? Well, it's because you live in a relationship with God. Um, that's the core, that's the core of, of the covenant, is you live in a bond. And so, like, okay, you know, you, if you're married, uh, you know, your spouse might say, hey, there's nothing you can do to make me stop liking you. There's nothing you can do to, that could make me divorce you. You're like, does that mean you're going to go out and do horribly hurtful things to your spouse? No, you're not. You live in a relationship. It's with a real person. And so, um, because the emphasis of the covenants is a personal relationship with God, uh, the answer to the question of, okay, if, if there's nothing I can do to make God stop loving me, why do I obey? It's because you live in a relationship with him, you know? And sin separates you from the life source, whereas being close, but whereas like living a, a godly life draws you closer to the Lord if you're doing it in faith by grace. And so, and it, it helps you to flourish and to, to live in the life of Christ. And so that's, um, it, it gives you a context to answer that question of like, why does obedience matter? Like, why do we obey God's law? Um, so that is, that is that. I'm going to pray for us. Um, if uh, today is you know, new, new Sunday school, people are in different rooms. If you're not sure where your child uh, is located right now, this QR code, um, uh, whatever it is, we'll bring it up on your phone. We'll bring it up on your phone and that will let you know where your children are. And, um, and the last thing, uh, I am going to send an email about this, but I mentioned it earlier, that I'm doing a, a, like a one-year course for parents called uh, Competent Faith. Uh, eight weeks of Bible boot camp, five weeks of how to read the Bible, six weeks of how to pray, two weeks of how to share the gospel, seven weeks of uh, systematic theology, but very much at a lay level. And uh, it'll start in September, 11 o'clock, Mondays at Cranmer. There'll be a sign-up on, uh, on Constant Contact. I promise you, if nothing else, It'll be really fun, really interesting. So, uh, I'm going to pray. Jesus, thanks for uh, thanks so much for this great story that we live under. Um, and it's it's not just a story; it's our real life uh, that you are a God who um, loved us, cared about us, had us in your heart and your mind uh, before the world's even formed. And um, knowing how good you are, and knowing how loving you are, knowing how perfectly in control things are under your care. Uh, help us to just live with peace, live in the comfort and rest of your grace and your goodness. And um, may that uh, rest and peace just flow out of us as we relate to our kids. 
And I pray for this year of children's Sunday school um, that you would uh, you would bless our kids, that they would give them a desire to know your word and to know you. And uh, and I pray that they would have great hope, peace, and joy, um, knowing your great grace and mercy. We love you. We ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.